0: Women Up Radio, designed to facilitate women's empowerment, improve your career, develop your talents, incorporate your passions, achieve fulfillment and success. Hello, this is Women Up Radio supporting Empower Women, and today we're talking about fulfillment and flourishing, how inspiration and enlightenment can bring success. I'm joined in the studio by my guest, Alice Beveridge psychologist, former primary teacher, who is director of the cutting-edge motivation and personal development organization, Tree of Knowledge. I love that name. So, welcome to the program, Alice. Hi, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So, can I start by asking you to tell me about your work? Because I know you're a strong advocate of applied positive psychology and particularly on finding satisfaction and the meaning in life, and focusing on the positive moments rather than the negative. So, what led you to this, and how does this fit in with your organisation, Tree of Knowledge? Okay,
1: well, I am—I, as you say, I am a psychologist. And while studying my sort of original undergraduate degree, I was constantly getting pulled towards the world of clinical psychology. Now, as I'm sure you know, clinical psychology about takes up probably about 80% of psychological research and is obviously a very important and valid area of psychology to study yeah. but I quite quickly discovered I was only working with about 23% of the population oh, really? and I just found myself often wondering well what about everyone else you know it's, uh, it's not everybody that wakes up every day happy and motivated yeah. and just because you don't fall into a clinical box doesn't necessarily mean that you are fulfilled in your life and have found meaning. So at this point, I made an interesting career decision. Um, I decided to become a primary school teacher. Yes. I'm not a primary school teacher anymore. I uh, chose to leave teaching for, I think, all the right reasons. Um, Originally, I went into teaching with the intention of becoming an educational psychologist. And while I was teaching, I became aware of a movement in psychology that very much distinguished between different kinds of mindsets. Yes. Which was led by the the child psychologist Carol Dweck, mm-hmm. and this got me thinking about a training event that I'd atta- um, attended when I was a newly qualified teacher, and um, that was run by this company Tree of Knowledge. And I thought to myself, Do you know what? I'm going to get back in touch with them because it was one of the first training events I'd ever attended yeah. that was all about me rather than necessarily the children or the curriculum. It yeah. was about how I thought and felt about myself and my role, whether I felt fulfilled. And, yeah. you know, there were aspects of teaching that were absolutely fulfilling, but there were also aspects of it that were, you know, I was just at the stage of getting a wee bit worn out and a wee bit run down by it all. Yes. Yeah. So they, uh, they after a few conversations, were daft enough to give me a job. <laughs> and it actually allowed me <laughs> to, to get back to my, my kind of original passion, which which is psychology. Yeah. Um. But the backbone of everything we do at Tree of Knowledge is all about positive psychology. It's all about Good positive mental health and well-being, yeah. and they were also kind enough after a few years in the door to to fund my study of my applied uh, psychology master. So it's applied positive psychology that my master's is in. And what I love about this is this is very much the research area yeah. um, about the other 77%. So it's for those of us who don't fall into a clinical group, but may still be dissatisfied with an aspect of our life yeah. of our lives. So this, it really, it was it was kind of eye-opening for me, actually. It fo- forced me to examine the difference between hedonic sort of pleasure-seeking happiness and the more yeah. eudaimonic meaning-seeking happiness.
0: Yeah.
1: And it was from here that my interest in kind of increasing people's satisfaction with all aspects of their life yeah. and this real pursuit of meaning was ignited. Okay. So through the work that we do at Tree of Knowledge, I've been able to develop a range of positive psychology-focused workshops and courses and programmes that are designed to do just that to help people and organizations understand their purpose and their motives yeah. and answer questions about why their organizations do what they do.
0: Okay, I'm sure everyone who knows about psychology will understand a lot of what you're talking about, but for us that don't know as much, can you tell me more about applied positive psychology um, and also about flourishing? Because I know flourishing and ful- fulfillment are really important, and I've believe that that's really the key to everything but I know when you were speaking to me earlier you told me about flourishing which has five key strands which I think are very so can you tell me more about that what they are and how we need to use them for best effect of course
1: yeah well Positive psychology actually it developed as a discipline out of research into depression and then it was this idea that if we can become depressed and we can um, use different interventions to bring us back to a kind of baseline norm there must be a way of being able to increase optimism in lives as well yeah. so it, it sort of began with the work of Martin Seligman and Mihály Csikszentmihalyi about 15 years ago and since then has branched off into lots of different areas and um, there's a, an area that looks purely at the idea of mindfulness and meditation there's that, that look purely at health and um, there's that, that look at subjective well-being which is how we report our well-being to be in the minute Uh, sort of like if you ask me right now how I feel how I would report that back to you yeah but the area that for me is most interesting as you say is this area of flourishing and this has really been led by Martin Seligman and he is a professor over at the University of Pennsylvania and he's spent an awful lot of time looking at happiness and over over the last 15 years has developed a a really sort of well-rounded theory of happiness and he refers to it as is perma-theory, which is essentially the five strands that are required for individuals to flourish. Now, by flourish, he means being completely engaged in what it is that they're doing and experiencing real happiness, but yeah. not the hedonic side, very much the meaning side focus. So the five strands of that are positive emotions, yeah. uh, the level of engagement that we experience, mm-hmm. the types of relationships that we have and develop, the amount of meaning that we derive from what we do every day, and also how we see and celebrate our accomplishments. And Seligman suggests that each of these five core elements together can actually enhance our fulfilment in life.
0: Yes, it sounds really interesting. So when did, when did he first do all that research? When did it come out?
1: Well, I think the Perma theory has been around maybe for about the last seven years. Prior to that, he looked very much at the the idea of authentic happiness, what it means to be truly authentically happy. Mm-hmm. And it was out of that that he started recognising that these different strands have such a, an impact. So, for example, it, uh, probably one of the most obvious ones is this idea of positive emotions? I mean it's it's quite simplistic in some ways to think the more positive emotions I experience, the happier I'm going to be. But it actually works both ways. Yeah. It's almost the happier I choose to be, the more positive emotions yeah. I'm going to experience. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing about positive emotions is they cover more than just happiness. It's about joy, it's about contentment, it's about focus, it's about relaxation. And there there has to be a difference, I suppose, at this point made between pleasure happiness which is actually very closely linked to survival
0: yes. for
1: example we need to satisfy our needs for things like thirst and hunger and sleep yes whereas the the flourishing side of positive emotions are much to do, more to do with our drive for enjoyment so taking part in activities that bring us joy and satisfaction yeah so so I suppose it's about being able in our lives to understand that there is a difference between the stuff that we have to do just in order to survive but there's also changes or ways that we can look at things that change how we we'll feel about it in the moment.
0: Okay okay because I mean as I've already told you I'm very very strongly supportive of fulfilment and that fulfilment is really yes. the only valid way of measuring success. Material success to me yes. is not the key to having a good life. And I know you're passionate about that as well. So how, Absolutely. how can we achieve it? And why is it so important? Well, I
1: think if we, if we think about things like flourishing and fulfilment, they are they're essentially outcomes
0: mm-hmm.
1: of getting the other stuff right. So from increasing our experiences of in each of the five sort of core elements of PERMA, we can become more fulfilled. So positive psychologists have have spent sort of the last 15-20 years researching and testing and validating a wide range of different positive psychology interventions which are specifically designed to enhance each of these areas. So if we're looking to achieve fulfillment there are actually some quite straightforward and simple things that have been sort of scientifically tested and have been shown to improve how we feel about things such as things as simple as keeping a regular gratitude journal just taking the time every few days to write down the things that that we're grateful for whether it's the little things whether it's the big things whether it's actually maybe something devastating has happened in the world but it's made you reflect on how lucky you are. it's those those moments that in in which we experience gratitude yeah yeah. and the more gratitude that we experience the more it boosts our level of positive emotion so it leaves us feeling better essentially but there are also there's there's all sorts of different uh, positive psychology interventions and depending which area of your life you're trying to increase your satisfaction or your fulfillment list then there's things from strength interventions that are designed to help people discover and acknowledge their physical and mental and social abilities or probably some of the most well recognized or most used are things like Martin Seligman's character strength inventory Mm -hmm. but then you can look at it from a completely different point of view and there's lots of different sort of creativity based interventions because Creative activities have been shown time and time again to boost our level of engagement or essentially our experience of what positive psychologists refer to as being in flow or being in the zone, which is essentially when you're just blissfully immersed in a task. And, you know, some people find it from running or from playing musical instruments, but the creativity um, interventions such as free writing or drawing or sculpting have been shown time and time again to increase people's experience of flow. And I suppose actually one of the very on-trend interventions just now is mindfulness yeah Uh, it's it's everywhere just now you just have to look on social media or on the tv there's everybody's talking about mindfulness in almost every aspect whether it's personal or professional and you know you just have to google guided mindfulness meditations and you'll find everything from meditations for relaxation to how to do a body scan to something called loving kindness meditation and and that's just a few of them you know there's hundreds of them but what i love about that is they are very nice to do like it's an enjoyable experience, but the research has also shown that they have positive impacts on the cardiovascular system, on pain relief, on decreasing stress and anxiety, and, and so much more.
0: I know I'm a strong believer that you have to have full mind body health as well as fulfillment because everything absolutely, good. and if, if you're healthy, if you eat well, if you exercise, your body works better, so your mind works better, so your spirit is better. Yeah. I think the whole thing's linked, and I think people just don't pay enough attention to what you put in your body and what you do with your body. Okay. Um, linked to everything. absolutely,
1: they've even developed different um, questionnaires to f- help people find positive psychology interventions that suit them best. Okay. So if you have somebody who's naturally inclined to be more physically active, yeah, um, there are sort of physical activity boosting interventions that that help particular personality types whereas if people are more creative yeah. they can point you in the direction of that or if you're at a stage in your life where you're needing courage there are interventions to help you be more courageous or be more forgiving so actually taking the time to find out well where am I in my life just right now yeah. and what do I actually need help or support with taking one of those sorts of best fit questionnaires can be a really nice place to start and just get you started on something that, that's within your comfort zone yeah. and once you're happy with that then you can start branching out and take a few more risks and maybe try something that you've not done before that maybe seems a little bit more out there or out of your comfort zone
0: yeah well that sounds a really good idea that that I'll have to try but coming back to fulfillment and flourishing mm-hmm. and particularly bringing that into our careers because obviously we spend so much time at work the the main part of our life or our waking life we're at work so how can companies facilitate our feelings of fulfillment um and flourishing and what can they do to encourage their employees to think more about it well, I think I think the responsibility
1: for this Is sort of twofold. Some of it lies with the organization and some of it lies with the individuals.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I do think though that businesses and organizations have to take this stuff seriously because it has such a significant impact on their employees' health and and well-being. For example, at Tree of Knowledge we do a daily mindfulness session just after lunch. It's about 10 minutes out of our working day, so it's not out of our break time, it's out of our working day, where the whole team get together find a space on one of the sofas and we take part in a guided relaxation together Really, and as well as being quite nice just after lunch absolutely so you essentially get to have a wee snooze after lunch <laughs> but it it's brought us closer together as a team you know like whenever we have new people start they they do that thing where they look at you go do I seriously get to have a wee lie down now and like, absolutely because if you if you look at the research allowing people to take that time yes. to relax it brings them closer together as a team but it also boosts productivity Yes. So why not take that 10 minutes out of your working day to, to do that? It, the benefits are, are tenfold, you know. Yeah. And what we then do is this uh, This is followed by what we de- describe as our learning time. One of our core company values is learning. Yeah. And a few years ago, we realised it was actually probably the one value that we hadn't made enough time for. So we decided that after mindfulness, everybody gets 45 minutes then to learn or read or research or watch something that they want to learn more about. Sometimes this is directly related to the job that they do, but it doesn't have to be.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's really an opportunity for people to experience flow daily and develop their skills and abilities in a self-guided way. And on an individual level, just sort of finding a positive psychology intervention that you enjoy can help us improve our performance in our careers. Mm-hmm. So whether it is, as I said, sort of physical activity level, Uh, which is obviously good for our physical health, but also good for our mental health and increases our ability to focus. Or it might be something such as taking time each day to identify three good things that have happened and taking time to reflect on things that have gone well and consider where we can apply those skills elsewhere, rather than just, you know, how often if something bad happens, we just go over it in our minds and ruminate on what's gone wrong. And that can almost hold us back because all we're focusing on is what we haven't achieved. So at the end of our day, we uh, we have a, a wee team meeting. Yeah. At 4:23, we finish at half past four. So 4:23, everybody gathers on the sofa, and yeah. we go through the things that we've achieved that day. Oh, really? And it's it's this idea of at the end of the day, we just get to reflect on how much we have achieved. Sometimes we go actually I didn't do anything, but uh, the majority of the time, we're surprised at how much we're man- managing to achieve each day.
0: Oh, I think it sounds brilliant. It sounds so positive and productive, because so people get into like a a hamster wheel, they just work, 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 um, and they never actually take time to think about themselves or to have a break or something like that. So I think excellent, it sounds great.
1: Well, I think simply, simply the nature of our business you know, we're a motivational and personal development company, yes. yeah. and it would be completely hypocritical of us to go out and work with other businesses and talk about this stuff if we didn't do it ourselves and actually doing it ourselves and it being part of our daily practice makes it easier for us to to promote this stuff to other businesses because we do it every day and it works for us
0: yes yeah
1: so what what better proof is there than than somebody that's actually tried it themselves
0: yeah you're basically you're you're living what you believe which is wonderful yeah I know we talked about emotional intelligence as well before the the interview and I know that's an important factor to do with Fulfillment and flourishing and things like that, and positive psychology. Can you tell me more about the differences between how men and women react with emotional intelligence and how this can be an advantage at work or disadvantage? Which yeah, think well, you think. Or
1: disadvantage, yeah. Do you know it depends what, what stance you take on it? Emotional intelligence, as you know, it's time and time again, it's shown to be more important in the business world than IQ. and this is because when working in businesses we are working with people so it doesn't matter what it is that you do at some point for most of us maybe not everyone you have to have some engagement with people and how we conduct ourselves in those situations actually have a huge impact on on how relationships progress and whether it's talking to new clients or talking to members of your team the stronger that relationship is the more sort of social connections you have the better it is for everybody. Yeah. But the thing about um, the thing about EQ, or uh, sorry, emotional intelligence, I, I think it's fair to say that we know that it's important in the workplace.
0: Yeah.
1: But it's taking longer than I don't know about you, but longer than I am happy with for it actually to filter in effectively. Yes. And I think some of this comes down to the fact that there are clear biological divides between men and women. Like we're not the same.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, the way that our brains work has been shown time and time again to be different. Mm-hmm. And people ask me, you know, every time I'm out working with different organisations, like are women really more emotionally intelligent than men? And it's it's quite a difficult question to answer because, in some ways, yes, they are, and in some ways, no, they're not. Yes. And it's because you're not comparing like for like. You're essentially looking at two different bell curves yes. of emotional intelligence and looking at where they overlap. So obviously, you get men who are incredibly emotionally intelligent, yes. and you get women who show very little emotional intelligence. Yes. But on the whole. Women's emotional intelligence tends to be greater than men's emotional intelligence. Yes. And when I talk about emotional intelligence, we're really looking at kind of there's four aspects that we talk about, and um, there's lots of different types of models. But for, for the purpose of today, I'm going to go with the one that uses self awareness as one aspect, managing our emotions as another, empathy as another, and social skills yes. as, as the fourth. Yes. And when we look at those four different components, women tend to have the edge over men when it comes to these basic skills. Yeah, But it's not, as I say, it's not quite as simple as that But if we look at, say, empathy, for mm-hmm. example mm-hmm. Women consistently display higher levels of empathy
0: yeah. But
1: men are generally better at managing distressing emotions mm-hmm. So if you put that into the workplace Women may be more empathetic and more understanding yeah. Whereas men may handle the, the the big challenges slightly better Just because their brains work differently and that's because the part of our brain that, that deals with em- empathy, the insula, in a woman, if you, put them in an F- if you put men and women in an fMRI machine and look at what their brain is actually doing when they experience empathy, this part of the brain, for a woman, it just lights up. And it's almost as if you can see the woman observing a distressing situation and her brain yes. mimics it. So she essentially feels how the other person is feeling. What's interesting is men's brains do it too but yes. it switches off much more quickly. Women's is longer lasting, yes. so may have a deeper understanding of why a person's feeling the way that they do. Whereas yes. men switch quite quickly into a problem-solving mode. Okay. Now that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. If what you're trying to do is sort of if the most important outcome is to solve the problem. Yes. But in the world of work, that can have a negative impact on relationship development. It can leave the individual feeling like their emotional response is being overlooked or isn't as important as finding a solution. Which is why for women in the workplace, it can actually allow us to develop more nurturing relationships with our colleagues and employees. And when women are in a position of power or sitting on boards, for example, it's when you get a much more balanced view of the world because women are likely to see or think about the impact of different decisions in a different way. They're going to consider the emotional impact as well as from the business perspective. Mm-hmm. and that's why the sort of gender balanced representation is so important and you'll, you'll have seen some of the research yourself I'm sure that suggests that more balanced boards make better decisions and are less likely to take unnecessary risks.
0: Yeah exactly then it's because all of the statistics show that when you've got women on a board the risk factor is much more balanced um, and they get better results so but Absolutely. There's something you said there that um, made me think of another question. Um, Yep, sure. Talking about women and being empathetic or empathic, does that mean Mm -hmm. that if women really do feel the emotions, that when there's a problem or a crisis, they can actually feel what the, the person's suffering, so they can understand better. If somebody comes with a problem or um, with some kind of, I don't know, problem with somebody that they're working with, that a woman normally can understand the situation better, because they really do feel the emotion, almost as though they've got the same emotion themselves.
1: Absolutely. yeah. Some of this research is is quite new and is still emerging, but it's based on things called mirror neurons. And it's this idea that when we see something in a situation, our brain mirrors it. Now, what's quite interesting is that it also comes down to how we personally view a situation. It's what's known as mental models. So my mental model of a situation may be completely different to somebody sitting on the other side of the table from me who's viewed the exact same thing. And that is influenced by things like your values, your beliefs, your experiences. Now, Where women have a very slight edge in this is they are more likely, the research suggests, to take the step back and actually consider why somebody might be responding in a particular way, whereas because men's brains snap into that problem-solving mode, sometimes they've almost skipped the problem and have missed the problem because they're so busy looking for a solution yeah. instead of taking the time to fully understand what's actually causing the distress in the first place.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. I drive everybody crazy because I always say, why, 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 why? Ooh. And I keep going back to why and I won't go on to yeah. the next step until I know the why and they're like, oh, for God's sake, yeah. let's do it. Like, no, I want to know why. Uh, well, that,
1: the thing is that, well, Humans are driven by meaning, aren't they? You know, from from the beginning of time, philosophers have been searching for meaning and why. And yeah. but even if you listen to some like modern day rappers, they're still going on about, well, why do we do this? What is our yeah. purpose? Like we're, we're obsessed with it. <laughs> and organisations and people who have a, a sort of strong sense of purpose tend to be happier and more engaged. Yes. And if you're taking the time to, to constantly come back to this idea of purpose or why is this happening or why did that happen, yeah. then you actually get more engaged people, better retention for your absences, people yeah. are more resilient and are better prepared to handle challenge and adversity more positively.
0: You are listening to Anna Letitia Cook at Women Up Radio inspiration and enlightenment and awareness are also essential to flourishing. So with these, how can they change our life and what impact can they have on our work and our career?
1: Well I think that feeling inspired and enlightened just has such an instant impact on our levels of motivation Mm -hmm. and people are more likely to feel motivated when they're working towards achieving something that they care about. Mm -hmm. So I suppose, I think we've all heard stories of somebody who, say for example, has a very financially rewarding job, yet is still personally unfulfilled or lacks that motivation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because well, money, you know, like we need money, of course we do, we live in a society that is driven by money, but once our financial needs are met, money itself isn't enough to bring fulfilment. And that's when, um, if you look to the work of the likes of Dan Pink, who looks at at what it truly takes to motivate people. He identifies three key things. One is autonomy, how self-directed we are, how much sort of freedom we have to make our own choices. The next one is mastery, which is how much opportunity do we have to get better at stuff. Mm -hmm. And the third comes back to something that I've already spoken about, which is this idea of purpose. Mm -hmm. So in our personal and in our professional lives, working towards that real purpose can positively impact our behaviour. And a lot of this comes down to mindset, as I suggested earlier on. For example, depending on, how, well, on what our outlook on the world is, how we can be inspired by different people in different ways. Or that same event, for example, say somebody you know has been incredibly successful, you can either be inspired by it mm-hmm. or you can almost feel threatened by it. Yes. In fact, if you think back to, to high school, imagine you and your best friend are sitting at the same test and they get a better mark than you. You have a choice in how you react when you find that out. Outwardly, you might go, oh, well done. You must have worked really hard for that. And on the inside, you might be going, I hate you. How dare you beat me? (laughs) Exactly. And it's, (laughs) it's that thing of we have a choice in the moment of how we respond. And if we are looking to be more inspired, a lot of it comes down to how we view a situation. And success is one of those things that, do you know it's different for everybody for yes. some people it's aiming towards by the time I'm 50 I'm going to retire because I've made this much money yes. for other people this real idea of, of flourishing and inspiration and just being more sort of socially aware of how well we're doing yes. is much more about achieving smaller more meaningful goals yes so yes. it's there's so many I think there's just so many different things that impact it yeah, but it definitely does have a it has an impact on how how motivated we are. So it's obviously going to impact how we work and how our career goes.
0: Yeah, and I know well obviously finding satisfaction and meaning it helps us with what we do um, in business, but also it helps us a lot for health and mental health. So yeah, what would you say from from all the work that you do from what you see? What are the main health benefits of this? I think it
1: has all sorts of positive impacts on our health and um, obviously as I sort of touched on earlier on it can increase our levels of subjective well-being so how we actually feel in the moment and just by being aware of that it, it can reduce our levels of anxiety and stress I think that's probably in the workplace that's probably one of the most important ones yeah. so when you have groups or individuals of people who have found satisfaction or are working towards meaning their, their stress levels reduce um, it allows us to sleep better, mm-hmm. which ultimately has an impact on our levels of productivity, how we feel, how uh, how we talk to each other. I mean, I've got two young children. I know that if they've been up all night, I'm maybe a little bit nippier than I am if I've had a great night's sleep.
0: <laughs> so
1: the cumulative effect of sleep deprivation can have a huge impact on on your meaning in life. In fact, on a total aside note, um, I read something last week about the the parenting gap. And this is the, the gap between people's mental well-being of people who are parents and people who are not. Yes. And it's fascinating to read because they talk all about how much um, people with young children in particular have much lower levels of sort of subjective well-being. But their yes. levels of meaning yes. in life are through the roof. Yes. So a lot of this also comes down to how we measure it. Yes. If you ask somebody how happy they are and their definition of happiness is all to do with hedonic pleasure then you're going to get a very different answer to if you ask them how much satisfaction do you experience in your life yeah yeah so just because somebody says that they're not happy doesn't mean that they don't have meaning yes
0: yeah now actually you talking about that is I've got the perfect example um my son and his girlfriend recently had a baby when in fact he's going to be a year old next week um and both of them look like complete zombies because they. Yep, do, I can relate to that but happiness they are so happy because oh absolutely yeah it's everything that happens is wonderful there it's it's fulfilled them totally so it's lovely mm-hmm. to, even if they are completely yeah it's
1: amazing it's amazing how just a little cheeky smile I, I'm actually yeah. pretty convinced by the idea that it's a good thing children are, are so cute because they have to be, or you just abandon them <laughs> because they drive you mad.
0: Exactly. You know, but
1: that cheeky little grin or that wee giggle, it just yeah. it saves their life about a hundred times a day. I think yeah. my uh, my son's ten months old, oh, right. and if you'd spoken to me about about three months ago about my level of satisfaction in life, you would have just got a death stare. I think <laughs> because I hadn't slept for about eight weeks solid. Yeah. Yeah. But while I was doing my masters, um. I started my masters the same week as I went off on maternity leave with my daughter. Oh really? And one of the things that we had to do, yeah I'm a nutter like that, <laughs> I always like to have an awful lot going on, but one of the projects that we had to do was a sort of personal exploration project. and everybody was doing all sorts of things about oh if they start running or if they start doing this or if they start doing that how's it going to impact them but I did because I don't know I think I think it's a psychologist in me I was like right I'm going to measure my levels of meaning and my levels of subjective well-being before I have my baby six weeks after and six months after and the scores were absolutely hilarious because to start with, my subjective well-being scores before I had were just like through the roof. I was so excited. Yeah. Um, life was wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And my, my meaning scores were pretty decent. Yes. At the six-week mark, yes. my subjective well-being was like through the ground. I was so tired, so exhausted. I, couldn't, I wasn't sort of on a level of experiencing postnatal depression, but I was definitely on that I'm exhausted. Yes. And I don't know how I'm going to do this. But my yeah. levels of meaning had shot through the sky. Yeah. And then as we got towards that six-month mark, they'd almost come and met again in the middle. Oh, really? So it's that's, it's very interesting yeah, how satisfaction and meaning can change separately yeah. to subjective well-being.
0: Yeah, yeah definitely. So, okay, yeah. so that's a great example. So when everything seems to be getting on top of us and when negativity is definitely gaining the upper hand, uh, upper hand, how can we turn it around?
1: Uh, Do you know, I think so much of this comes back to taking time to reflect on why we're feeling the way that we do and taking time to look at the benefits or the positives in our life. um, Negative emotions such as stress or anxiety or worry tend to be the results of dealing with challenges or perceived challenges Mm -hmm. that we believe outweigh our skill set. If you look at the work of Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi, a Hungarian psychologist who's these days based over in the States somewhere, he's got a theory of flow which is essentially this, this theory of engagement that I touched on earlier on. Yes. And he has, there's two main components to this theory. One is that in everything we do in our life, every single day we'll experience some level of challenge. Yes. And the other is that we bring different levels of skill, depending who we are, to meet that challenge. Yes. So for example, if you find yourself in a situation that is very challenging, and you don't believe you have the skills to deal with that challenge. And by skills, I'm not just talking about the hard skills, the functional skills. I'm also talking about things like the passion or the motivation or the sort of softer skills that we need to deal with challenges. Mm-hmm. Then that's when we're most likely to experience stress yeah. or anxiety or worry. Yeah. And there's obviously, there's different types of stress. There's good stress, there's bad stress. I'm a, a big advocate of the idea that there's silly stress.
0: Yeah. Like There
1: are silly little things that wind us up every day that, impact how we think and how we feel that don't really matter
0: Yeah.
1: like my husband gets annoyed if I unload the dishwasher wrong because oh he's God. got his own little set of crazy rules <laughs> about how that should be done um, um, or this has worked out well in my in my life because he's he's quite uh, pernickety about that sort of thing so I'm not allowed to do the washing in my house I really because I hang up the socks facing the wrong way, it's great Very, very positive, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I like that
1: <laughs> sometimes i do it on purpose just so that he remembers that i'm not allowed to do it yeah. but um but the the, the fascinating thing though about stress is that although there is there's obviously bad stress we hear about it all the time
0: yeah.
1: Um stress can be a positive thing it can have a positive impact on us i, uh, I need the deadline in order to get stuff done yes you know that's quite positive stress yeah. and with this sort of third component of silly stress the, the worrying thing is the brain can't actually distinguish between the three uh, Essentially when it no, that sort of sees a threat it, uh, it releases cortisol into our yeah. bloodstream Which in small doses is quite useful yeah. um, It wakes us up in the morning, it can increase our level of focus But if we have too much of it, it can have seriously bad consequences For our mental well-being as well as our physical well-being Yes. So this is where we have to be very aware of what it is that we feel is getting on top of us because if it's lots and lots of little things essentially what happens is we get lots of little hits of cortisol which yeah. over time build up in our bloodstream which means if something really big does hit us yeah. or it does sort of pop up out of the blue we can have a much more negative response to that than we would otherwise yeah so when it comes to turning it around, it really comes to looking at, well, how do we readdress the challenge or how do we readdress the skill level? Because if you're too skilled and not being challenged, that's when you become bored. Yes. Now, I used to be a primary school teacher. I learned very quickly that boredom is one of the most destructive forces in the world. Yes. If you allow a class of primary ones or sort of or year, year twos to get bored, your classroom is chaos. Yeah. Because at four or five years old, they just, they go off and they find something else to do.
0: Yeah.
1: As adults, I think it's still destructive, but it's destructive in a slightly different way.
0: Yeah.
1: Because when adults get bored, they either go and find another challenge or they just accept it as part of their life.
0: Yeah.
1: And if we accept boredom as part of our life, that skill level deteriorates. And then we're in a weird situation where we're not really being challenged, but we also don't really feel like we have the skills to deal with the challenge. Yeah. And we're essentially becoming apathetic.
0: Yes.
1: And I don't know if you've ever worked with somebody that's apathetic, but it's horrible. Yeah, it's awful. They're like they're like mood they're they're like mood hoovers, aren't they? They just they suck the life out of and the joy and the excitement out of whatever's happening. Yeah. So to really overcome this, I think it's about it almost comes back to the emotional intelligence things that we were talking about earlier on. It comes back to being aware of why you're feeling the way that you feel and being able to recognise. Well, am I stressed? If I am feeling stressed, why am I feeling stressed? Yeah. What are the the things that are causing me to feel stressed, and how do I address them? yeah Um is it something I can do something about if so brilliant do something about it it'll make you feel, a bit, feel better yeah. if it's something you have no control over it sometimes we just have to let stuff go sometimes we just have to say do you know what that does annoy me but it is completely out with my control and I just have to accept that that's always going to be the way and I have a choice here to look at this from a more positive direction And that's when we can start to readdress the balance between challenge and skill. Um, And if we can start to do that, that's when we're more likely to experience the engagement. We're more likely to experience flow. So so much of this, to really answer your question, um, so much of this, how how we turn it around when things are getting on top of us, all really comes down to being emotionally intelligent enough to know why we're feeling how we are, and then putting into action things that can help us feel better
0: yeah and so what can corporations do to well to help foster a positive attitude and also improve the Mm -hmm. environment in the workplace
1: well i think this this just comes down to shaping the environment for success or growth the highest performing organizations across the world all consciously shape their environment now that doesn't have to be the physical environment but that can help so looking at, at how people Um, sit in the office or looking at sort of breakout spaces and that kind of thing that can help but much more than that it's about shaping a culture
0: yeah
1: it's about defining your purpose as a corporation Mm. and that has to almost become sort of come above your profit motive Having that purpose at the centre of what you do because from there you start to be able to develop a strong set of company values that aren't just like words that are pretty decals on a wall or in a staff handbook that people uh, read during their induction and then never look at again. You really have to create the opportunity for people to live and read the values. And that can only really happen if you dedicate time to it, if you dedicate training, if you have team discussions around what the values really mean, what do they look like, what do they sound like, what do they feel like, what does it actually mean to each individual job role? Because once people have a real sense of purpose and a real grasp of the values, it starts to influence how they behave.
0: Yeah. And that
1: instantly impacts how people feel.
0: Yeah, because to me that's very much linked with what you were saying about and turning things around when people are negative or when things are getting on top of them yeah. because if the corporation understands if the corporation has a vision about that it's got to help you know people have more emotional t- intelligence have more capacity to make the positive choice rather than to sort of wallow in apathy as you were describing yeah
1: absolutely there's you know there's a number of organizations that I've worked with over the last few years that have been essentially trying to do this they've been trying to change the culture and it's been really interesting to kind of be on the inside of that but also on the outside so you're inside in terms of you're involved and you're helping but you're also in the on the outside and that you can see why certain things aren't working And like there's some organisations that I work with where they maybe have an individual in a leadership position that isn't living and breathing the values.
0: Yes.
1: And as a result, it undermines the whole programme. Yeah. Or that somebody goes, oh, yeah, I suppose that stuff's kind of important, but it's more important that I hit my target. Yeah. They almost don't understand that actually... If you have happier people, yeah. it's gonna be easier to hit your targets. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, as you say, it sounds really simple, but it can be really hard work, especially if the culture is in a bad place in the first place. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's the organizations that recognise that it's not just for the health and well being of their staff, but also it's that that morality, it's that moral aspect of being a business owner or running a business. Yeah. That once you get all of that, all of those kind of ducks in a row, you suddenly realise. How much gain you can get from it because happier people work harder they, they yeah. care more they're more loyal and exactly. um, higher levels of personal and professional satisfaction you know they're, they're more likely to flourish it's simple
0: yeah. as that. To me it's so obvious is whenever you're happy when you're excited you do everything more intensely so uh, I think yeah. it's great what what you're doing and and how you're doing it and working with companies to give them more of that vision I think it's great because it's definitely the way forward. The the old ideas, yeah. targets and, and results and mm. money and all of that. Yeah, okay, I understand they have to have a profit, but they have to realize that getting everybody being more positive and more fulfilled, it's going to happen naturally because they're going to be so yeah. much more implicated in what they do. They're, you know They're going to have the the loyalty the the desire to do what they're doing and to help their colleagues etc to me it, well you're preaching to the converted because i believe yeah. <laughs> So, but anyway so are there any last tips that you can give us about what we can do to improve our options and our outlook
1: oh uh, you know there's hundreds that i could give you but i think i'll, I'll keep it to three just to finish off right. um first of all i'll probably start with gratitude and this idea of actually taking the time to say thank you and saying thank you authentically to people in your life who deserve thanks. Um, it has to be genuine and it has to be specific. But the great thing about something as simple as saying thank you is it makes both of you feel better.
0: Yes.
1: Um, another way of looking at this is how do we give praise? Particularly in the business world, praise is very often outcome-focused rather than process-focused. And the problem with only praising outcomes is sometimes you can make people risk averse because if you're only praising hitting targets, then you're obviously not paying enough attention to the people who aren't hitting them or why they're not hitting them. Whereas if you praise the effort, you can actually start to redirect that effort and that process to help you become more successful. And I think probably one that absolutely anyone can do at any time is it's a, it's an intervention called the best version of me or my best self, it's sometimes called. Yes. And it's literally just taking five minutes to sit down and imagine the best version of you. How do they look? How do they sound? How do they feel? Uh, how do they talk? Yes. And, and really get a very clear per- picture of that person in your mind. Yes. and then just take a little bit of time to set some realistic achievable goals to help you progress towards this version of you.
0: That sounds wonderful. Great. Thank you very much, Alice. It's really been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. and we could well, Thank you for back. having me. You're welcome. We could talk for hours, but we'll have to stop. So, But thank you very much, really. It's been so valuable. We'd like to thank our guest, Alice Beveridge, psychologist, former primary teacher and director of Tree of Knowledge, for sharing her expertise on fulfilment and flourishing, and how finding inspiration and enlightenment can bring us greater and more meaningful success. I'm Anna Letitia Cook, and you've been listening to us here at Women Up Radio. Thanks also to Meryl Guzel and Laura Martinez of UN Women's Empower Women for the wonderful work that they do to advance the case for women's equality today. And a really big thank you to all of you, the listeners. I hope you've enjoyed hearing Alice today. Please send in any questions or feedback or go onto her website, find out more about what they're doing, because really it is the key to being much happier at work and in life. Um, You can find us and you can find our social media and contact details through our website, womenupradio.com. And Alice, do you want to just give us your, your um, website and your social media?
1: Yes, it is treeof.com or it is on Twitter. We are at tree underscore
0: off. Perfect. Okay, that's lovely. Well, thank you very much. And I hope that we can have you back on the show another day because it's absolutely fascinating. Women Up Radio Designed to facilitate women's empowerment Improve your career Develop your talents Incorporate your passions Achieve fulfilment and success